afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. You know that old thing from Porgy and Bess, the old Porgy and Bess song, what we've heard and we've read in the Bible? Well, it ain't necessarily so. Well, perhaps they didn't read Thomas More's version, Gospel, the Book of John, in which regardless of religion, agnosticism, or atheism, one discovers a deeper, more meaningful spirituality hidden in the root meanings of the words used and the symbolism around them. Unfortunately, much, much of the work of John and others has been turned into a moralistic dogma. But what we find in the root language is a more celebrated, deeply mystical, and loving message. In Moore's book, we discover a different Jesus than the one described for us by earlier translations. This new rendition of Jesus is Dionysian in his urging us forward to a full and meaningful celebration of living. He tells us that we're to remember who we are, and he guides us to that knowledge with his actions and his words. Come today and learn of this new Jesus. See if you like him now. Thomas Moore is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Care of the Soul. He's written 25 other books about bringing soul to the personal life and culture, deepening spirituality, humanizing medicine, finding meaningful work, and reimagining sexuality with soul and doing religion in a fresh way. In his youth, he was a Catholic monk and studied music composition. He has a PhD in religious studies from Syracuse University and was a university professor for a number of years. He's also a psychotherapist, influenced mainly by Carl Jung and James Hillman. In recent years, he has returned to his role as a gospel theologian and a non-aligned theologian, publishing his translation of the New Testament Gospels, as well as writing in the sand, Jesus' spirituality and the soul of the Gospels and the soul of Christmas. So we're going to be talking for a a good hour today. I want you to stay tuned and really uh, listen in because this is an important interview we're going to have today. Thomas, welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you, Andrea. I'm very happy to be with you, as usual. Yes, yes. I've enjoyed several other interviews with you, and uh, and we will uh, enjoy this one, too, I'm sure. So I'm just going to jump right in there. I have several questions that I sort of marked in this delicious book as I slowly savored it. And uh, one of the things that uh, I noticed was that you quoted Lawrence Kushner uh, who tells us in his book, Eyes Remade for Wonder, a Lawrence Kushner reader, that we are the Messiah, that we already have everything we need and we are where we need to be. You quote him when Simon Peter brings Andrew to Jesus saying, we have found the Messiah, Christus. This flies in the face of everything dogmatic about the principle that Jesus is the only Son of God. Can you explain what you mean by this? Well, uh, the, the uh, quotation from uh, Lawrence Kushner was important to me because... Uh, you can read the you can read the gospel texts in different ways. You can read them uh, as something that has happened. A lot of people read them as history. Uh, you can read them as biography, and you can read them as uh, part of your belief system. You can read them as a kind of guidance, moral guidance, and emotional guidance. Um, so I think what. Lawrence Kushner does is an important thing. He he is able to read the story of the gospel and take it in to the reader himself. In other words, you can you can not just talk about um, Jesus as being the Messiah or the the Christos, the Christ, but you can also see that 
um, that he is talking about the Christ in you, or the the fact that what uh, the gospel Jesus um, allows you to do is to see that you have in you um, the possibility of living a life that is very deeply human and very real. And I think that's really what he means by that, taking the Christos into yourself. By the way, Lawrence Kushner is an old friend of mine, and uh, uh, I've appreciated all the work that he's done, and he has helped me uh, be able to approach the Gospels and other work I do from um, multiple perspectives. So I'm not just approaching anything I do as Christian or Buddhist or agnostic or whatever, but he helps me see the, the Jewish angle. But he sees that universally, too. So that's what I wanted to bring to my translation. And you did it so well. I love the way you did that. I, I think that was very well done. You, there's, not a, there's not so much religion in this as there is spirituality. So I really appreciated that. Yes, I think your point is really a good one. Um, the, one of the problems in reading the Gospels is that people have had kind of a very narrow uh, blinder on their eyes when they read them, thinking, well, what I'm reading is what I have to believe because I'm a member of a particular religion. Mm-hmm. And that not only keeps other people away, keeps people uh, who are not Christian uh, away from the gospel, and that's a sad thing, Yes, but it also narrows the perspective of the person reading the gospel. So it's something valuable for, let's say, a Christian to be able to read the gospel and see it as applying to all human beings, so that it isn't something that you're you're uh, grasping onto just for yourself and the people like you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of the dogma out of it, and the should, the have to, the ought to, the obligation out of it, and brings it to a deeper mystical level. The way I I see it. Yes, I I think uh, what 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 you, what you could say is that. Um, what we're doing when we, when we look at any sacred text this way, but especially the Gospels, is that we are opening our minds finally. Uh, we have a broad perspective on what we're looking at here. And actually, it sounds different. What you're reading then is different. You're not, you're not reading about something you should memorize and follow slavishly. What you're doing is you're developing your own spiritual imagination, I think that's really what the Gospels do. They teach you how to imagine the spiritual life, how to be in this world with a big vision and a big heart. There's a great deal of heart in the Gospel. And I think it's the education of the heart that goes on in the teaching of the Gospel that is important for anyone. So just as people today will pick up the Tao Te Ching or a Buddha Sutra and be inspired by it and educated by it, Anyone in the world should be able to pick up the Gospels and have the same effect. Yeah, I agree so much. Well, one of the most mysterious uh, 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 stories in the in the text of John is in chapter 3 when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Jesus tells him that unless a person is born of both water and spirit, he can't be a part of the kingdom of God. He says, what is flesh is flesh and what is spirit is spirit. You say that on a symbolic level, this indicates that the psyche is dead unless it maintains a constant connection with the deeper streams of universal life. Can you say a little bit more about this rebirth and what Jesus could mean by that? You know, what's interesting about that passage is that Nicodemus is so thick-headed. You know, he doesn't. He, you wouldn't believe a person could, could mistake the metaphor so much. 
and in that way, he's a, he's a good example for anyone today that I think generally, very often, people are reading the Gospels make the same mistake that he makes. He doesn't see metaphor where it, where it is. I understand a lot of people don't like that word metaphor today because they think it takes something away from the text. But actually, I think when you look at it closely, to be able to read deeper into the text uh, gives you something more. And I think that's exactly what the teaching about Nicodemus is. And in particular, I think what Jesus is saying there is that you have to be born to be a spiritual being. It's not enough to just see yourself as being this human being who is physical. And yet when you look around at our society even today, uh, almost everyone interprets life um, physically. It's like medicine does this. You know, you go to a doctor or to a hospital, and it's like serving up your body to be examined as this thing that has gone wrong. Something's wrong with it. But it, it, I think what Jesus is saying that if you really want to be born into this life, you have to be a spiritual being too. And I would love to see the day when we can go to the doctor and the doctor asks us about our life, about the meaning of our life, how we feel about how things are going, if we're doing a job, if we have a career that really feeds us, if our relationships are, are going along all right and they are um, you know, giving us a deep sense of meaning. If, if we don't um, have this spiritual, psychological life together, we are going to be sick in one form or another. And it seems to me that this is exactly what Jesus' point is in all of his work. He's trying to address the human being as having these various dimensions and not being just a physical being. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when he says that when uh, one is flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit, he really means that, doesn't he? I think he does. He, he, he's saying that very clearly, and it's so important to his entire work. And it's so contrary to the way we think today, as I was saying. Um, I think we just assume today, especially when you read the news and see what's happening in the world, we assume that to be alive is to, be, is to be, have an external life and... We do things, we, we succeed and we fail, and we have a lot of political issues that we discuss, especially today. But we don't really talk about the inner life, about the life of meaning and deep emotion and deep relationship. And that's what Jesus was all about. It's, it's interesting when you look and see all of his teachings, how much they are about friendship and other forms of relationship and about community. And not only uh, teaching about that, but how he embodies and gives example of how to live as this human being who is connected to the people around him and doesn't draw boundaries between himself and others. It's amazing how open he is to people who are not of the same circle that he is in. So I think all that together embodies the teaching. You, you look at the, you read the gospel and you find the teaching which you can consider and understand, and then you see the example. This is how you live. Yes. That was very well said. I like what you just said there, because that is, I think that's what it's all about, living from the inside out rather than vice versa. Yes, that's a great way to put it. We're living yeah. from the inside out. Um, and uh, the big task today, it's very difficult in our world, but the task is to try to 
first of all, become aware of the inner life and to pay close attention to it, get to know what it's all about, the laws of that inner life. Because we just can't understand ourselves or the world we're in if all we do is look at the external side. And I think that that Jesus, you know, he seems to be a spiritual teacher, but he's also a psychological teacher. Or um, I often talk about Jesus as uh, teaching about the soul and not just the spirit. He is describing what goes on in human life at a very deep level. And I think that his relationships, especially the friendships he has with the people around him, that, that that friendship is one of the essentials of his teaching. Yeah, yeah. That deep connection with other people, or other souls, maybe. Yes, with other, with other people at a deep level. And, and it's, not, it's not a high spiritual relationship that he has with people. Because he's eating with them all the time. You know, that's, that's what, to me, what's so interesting, that he's, he's such a good eater and diner. He likes to be with people of various kinds, and you see him so often connected with food. So it's, it's a very human thing. It's a very human um, idea about life that he is presenting. It's not, it's not often the clouds, and it's not all that very abstract theology. It's about how to be a human being who has a big heart and who can take care of people and live properly and live well and have a good sense of ethics because you have a heart that you can empathize with people. And when they are sick, you feel for them. And This gospel says that very frequently, that Jesus mm-hmm. feels for the people who come to him looking for help, and he responds to that deep sense of compassion. Yes, absolutely. Well, there's another thing you talk about uh, in the book that I think is very interesting, the word, the word uh, eternal life. You talk about it being eternity in life as opposed to just thinking about eternity after death. Um, we have just a few minutes before the break, but I want to see, can you explain what you mean by that? What is eternity? Yes, I think, I think that people normally think of eternal life as life goes on and on. Well, it's going to go on a lot longer, eternal life. It just keeps pushing forward. That's not the only way of thinking of that word eternal. It can also mean that you are, it's timeless. So you're, you are outside of time for a moment. And uh, I think the, the gospel message is a lot about not being dominated by time and thinking only literally about more time, but about the vastness of every moment we have here in this life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the deep and tall, <laughs> deep and tall and wide and the whole thing. Yes, I agree. Uh, in chapter four, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And I, I just, I think about wells a lot as a symbolic thing. There are so many stories in the Old Testament that include wells, all the way from Joseph being dropped into one after he was beaten by his brother to Jacob meeting Rachel at the well. What do you think of the symbolic significance of the well? and Why, why did he meet her at the well? Well, it's exactly what we're talking about. The well is an image of the, the depth from which life comes. I mean, that, that is so clear in this passage about meeting the woman at the well. He's trying to let her know that the water that she is looking for is water that will keep her physical existence going. But he has a different kind of water. We'll put quotation marks around the word water there, meaning... He has a special uh, use of the, He's using the word water in a very special way. 
And what he is saying that this water which keeps life going comes from a very deep place within us. It's a water, it's a, a source of life that is within us, and it is as deep as you might sense the water in a well, where she's getting that water from deep in the earth. So it's a, it's a traditional image. The Greeks often talked about it, that the, the soul is deep, that it is incredibly deep, and yet it is the source of our vitality. And that's what Jesus represents, that, that deep source. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's beautifully said. And I think this story of the Samaritan woman has all kinds of other meanings attached to it that we might not have time to get involved with. But uh, uh, And we just have one more minute before the break. But I just kind of want to just, if you can just briefly answer, and this is a tough question to briefly answer. If we have to, we'll get back to it after the break. What does Jesus save us from? That is a good question. I think his, I've, I've asked that many times in my life. And I think that what he saves us from is the, um, uh, the opposite of what I've just been talking about. If we don't have the depth of life, if we don't have something in us like a spring or a well in us that gives us our vitality and life and meaning every day, then what do we do? We go through life and we don't know what it's all about and we, we get lost. And I think that what he saves us from is our own lostness. Okay. Well, I want to go more into detail about what that lostness means after the break. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, but right now we're going to take a break and we'll be back with more from Thomas More on his book, Gospel, the Book of John. So stay tuned. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
And we're back talking today with Thomas Moore about his beautiful book, Gospel, the Book of John. And we left just before the break. We were talking about what it was that Jesus saves us from. And you mentioned something that you said was lostness. And I'd like to know more about that. What do you mean by lostness? Does that mean going to hell? Does that mean, what does that mean? No, what, what I think to be lost means that you don't really understand what life is about. So you don't really know what to do. And what you do if you don't have any real strong sense of of purpose in your life is that you follow someone else's idea, and you stop your thought, you stop thinking, and just follow. That's a very dangerous situation, because um, I think what Jesus is saying in that passage about the woman at the well is that we have a deep well inside of us where our meaning pours out just like water pools into a well and gives us... the opportunity for life. And we have that in us. But if we don't have it, if we have closed it off or we haven't uh, really learned how to access it, then we don't know who we are and where we're going and what we should be doing. And that is what I mean by being lost. And I think there are an awful lot of people today who feel that. They may, they may uh, push away that feeling of being lost by being hyperactive, a lot of people today do so much to be able to keep away uh, the reflection that comes when you don't know exactly what you're doing. You, it's painful to think, well, I really don't have a good sense of my purpose in life. And uh, Jesus offers the opportunity for you to reconnect with the source of meaning within yourself. And I don't know what could be more important. And I think that's exactly what he saves us from. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. He saves us from our own blindness then. Yes. Well, how many people, how many blind people does he heal? And you can hear that too as us being blind to who we are. Yeah. 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 I want to talk about uh, the logos and the the word that was made flesh in the early part of John, the book of John. But before I do that, I want to ask you about the meaning of the word for truth, which is aletheia. Greek word yeah. aletheia, uh, because I think that uh, is part of this thing about the logos as well. So you tell us that it's the opposite of fa- it's not the opposite of falsehood, but that it opposes no. forgetfulness, and yes. it means memory. So I want to know more about that. Well, uh, yes, yes, that's a really good question. Um, uh, the the word aletheia comes from uh, a, a, a word in the middle of it, the Greek word lethe, l e t h e, lethe. And that is the name of the river um, in, in theology, in ancient theology, the river where the soul has to go over after death. And it's a river of forgetfulness. It means that when you cross this river, then you forget all that life has been. And you're in a state then of, of profound forgetfulness. Now, in Greek, you put the letter A in front of a word, and it means not it takes away, it's a negative. It means, well, it's not what, what you said. So if lethe is forgetting, alethe means to remember. But we're talking here about this deep, deep river, you know, very at the very base of existence, the lethe, the river of forgetfulness. And when we are able to get past that river, actually we can remember, alethe. So the word for truth means a very deep kind of remembering. 
In fact, I often translate it when I come across it in the Gospel, Aletheia, I will translate it as deep remembering, because uh, that's really what is so important for us, to remember who we are and what the world is about, to remember these very deep things. And uh, it's, it's not about uh, you know, superficial memories or remembering what happened today. It's about remembering who you are. And so uh, when Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, I think what he is saying is that I am the one who comes to help you remember what life is about. And uh, that kind of remembering that is a waking up. You come back to life because you remember who you are supposed to be and who you have been, in a sense, from forever because you, you are so deep and that your essence is eternal. We were talking about the word eternal a few minutes ago. We are timeless in a certain sense. And uh, I think Jesus reminds us of that. So his teaching is one of memory and remembrance. Yeah, and that's, that's a really mystical concept because when we think about him helping us remember who we are, we have to come to terms with who that is. It's not just, oh, I'll just remember who I am. I was my mother's daughter or I was my father's daughter, whatever. It's more remembering that deeper self. Yes. Is that, yes. Yes, remembering, remembering what you're made of. And part of it is certainly your, your family. And to remember who your family is, I can tell you as a psychotherapist how important that is, that mm-hmm. it's very important for people, especially when they are lost or have a lot of conflict in life, to remember the parents and remember the, the problems that your family has had over the many decades and generations. Because we are the product of that, and that's an important part of remembering. But there's also another side that's a bit more mystical, and that is that each of us has our own destiny, and we're here with our own lives and responsible for ourselves. And there's this deep sense that who we are is not entirely affected by our personal history, that there's some essence, there's something about us that doesn't change, and that is so deep that we have to keep reminding ourselves that it's there, that there's something absolutely unique about us. And it, other people around us may want us to be somebody else. They may want us to do different kind of work or live in a different place or marry someone else or whatever. But it's, what's really important is to fulfill our own nature. And that means remembering all the time who we are. And Jesus embodies that kind of deep remembrance. He embodies it. It's like he's, he's going around reminding people that you have to be in touch with the source of your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, one of the deepest of memories, according to Hinduism, is to remember our own divinity. Would you go that far? Yes. Uh, I think the, the Upanishads uh, uh, from India are like, um, speak in a way that's very similar. In fact, it it doesn't hurt at all to compare the words of Jesus with some of these other teachings, just to be able to help appreciate and understand what he's all about. So, yes, I think that what he is saying is something very much like it might be said in India and other parts of the world as well, that there is something about us that that deep deep down we participate in life. We We have all of life kind of stirring within us in some ways. It's like we are the... We are the tip of the iceberg, but there's something much bigger and deeper beneath us that is 
more closely connected with other people and other beings. And I think that's a great gift of the teachings of Buddhism to uh, remind us that our connection with other beings is, is very mysterious because in a way we all share a life. We share a planet here. When you just think about it, it's this planet that we live, where we live is not just a platform. It's like we all share a life. It's a living thing. And we are different manifestations of that life on the planet. And so to find out who we are means to uh, go very deep and have a sense of all of life being there at our, ver- at our base. And I think that affects very much the decisions we make in life. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach. Wow, that was beautifully said. That was really well said. I really appreciate the way you said that. Okay, so let's talk about the Logos now. Where in the very first part of the book of John, he talks about the Word was made flesh and lived among us, and the Word was, I think it was like God, and the Word was God. And So tell us what that means. How, what's the mystical angle of that? Can I, can I start by just reading the first few lines? Yes, please. Um, the way this goes in my translation. To begin, there was the Logos. And the Logos was close to God. The Logos was God and was in the pre-dawn with God. From it, everything came into being. Without it, nothing that exists would have come to be. In it was life, a life that was humanity's light, a light, a glow in a darkness that doesn't darken it. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I think is going on there is, is very important as some of the best commentators on this gospel have said it, it's a, it's a theme that starts the, the book of John, and then you can see it on every page of the gospel. So what is being said here is that uh, in the beginning, to begin, there was the Logos. And now this word Logos is not an easy word to translate. That's why I didn't put it in English. Because Logos is like, if you know in India, they use the word Dharma, which means the law of life. Or it might be the law of a community, or even the law of your own life. All those things at once. So it is, Logos means that the world we live in has a certain order about it. It has meaning. It's a meaningful world. It's not random. And um, uh, we live in, we can live in a meaningful world. And the, the capacity we have to see that meaning is the Logos in us. So it's funny, the Logos means both the meaning of the world and also our capacity to be able to see that meaning and to understand it. And the implication here in this beginning of the, of the Gospel of John is that this Logos was made visible in the life and teachings of Jesus. So he was the Logos in a sense. So what does that mean? It means that he embodies how life can be put together, how it can work to at its best what it can be. And he is not working against the nature of life itself. He is in tune with, with the, the very meaning and order of life. He is in tune with that. And so if we listen to what he is teaching, I think this is what he's saying, if we listen to what he is teaching and follow that, we will be in tune with our own nature not fighting ourselves, not going against the way things are and the way they have to be. As I see it, that's a problem that most of us have. There's one issue at all that causes us trouble is that we fight our own nature. 
if there's something in us that, that needs and wants to be expressed and lived, if we don't live it, then we're going to feel anxious and feel conflict in ourselves. And Jesus embodies the person who has that, uh, the way of, of life within him. He's not conflicted. He's not fighting himself. And that's what we have to do is look and see what it's like to live that way. And that will help us then not be in so much conflict. Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. I love what you said about the world having an order to it. And in this day, it's difficult for many of us to think about there's, there's that possibility where there's so much going on that has to do with conflict and, and um, untruth and alternative facts and all that kind of stuff. We, we tend to think there is no order and, and that somehow we have to create that order. But what I hear and what you're saying and what I've seen so much in, in the gospel itself is is that it's there is an order underlying all that stuff that something else is also going on. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, the problems we have in the world, especially as we look at the, 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 what's happening in our political world today and in governments around the world and how people are being uprooted from their homes uh, because of government activity and so on, you can see that there is that we are we are out of touch with the order of things. We don't have a feel for humanity, a feel for the fact that that mothers and fathers have to raise their children, and they need the basic uh, support and they need opportunities to be able to do that. We, we're out of touch with that, and as a result, we have a world that is so disruptive, and so many people are suffering. It's not necessary, but we have lost touch with that order. I think part of it is that up to this point, we have all over the world have had religions to give us at least some basics. They haven't been perfect by any means, but they have given us the basics of of having a sense of order about life. And we have been motivated to take care of our children and to allow families to exist creatively. But uh, that, that uh, religious order is breaking down now, partly because of our technological advances. The, it's hard to be technologically advanced and have a rather undeveloped sense of religion. Uh, so uh, today um, we need this message of the gospel more than ever, that there is a deeper law and a deeper source of life than just what's expedient for governments and leaders. Uh, uh, we we have within us, every human being has within them uh, a sense of meaning and a purpose of their own. And if people don't have the opportunity to explore that individual purpose of theirs, there's going to be trouble. And we can't have a peaceful world unless we can support each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what Jesus talks so much about, and other religions as well, talk so much about that whole thing about supporting each other and being there for each other. Okay, we just have a few more minutes left in the break, until break, but I want to ask this question, and we may have to come back to it again after the break, but uh, there's a lot of people out there teaching today that we can have all the money we want and we can live in wealth and luxury because we're promised an abundant life. But what do you think it really means to have a life, live life abundantly? Um, to, to have an abundant life means, again, we're going back to the story of Jesus at the well. It's, uh, it means that you that you have the vitality of 
streaming through you. You have a vitality that you are able to um, go through the various passages in life uh, with some help and guidance and community support uh, to get married, to get through sickness, to find the right career and job, to deal with adversity when it comes along, and that's part of everyone's life. So uh, to be to have abundant life means to have that deep source of vitality in you and have the opportunity to live it out, to be able to live it. And th- the things that obstruct that capacity to live that life that's in you are not always external. Many There are many external problems. I was talking about that with governments and so on. But there are also internal obstacles to be able to live out your abundance and to really feel it and see it. And maybe one of the biggest ones is uh, some family conflict in the past. But there are others as well, and a lot of them are emotional and psychological. Well, we get through those, and that helps us to live abundantly. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get past the break. So, but we're going to take another break right now, and we'll be back again with more from Thomas More on his book, Gospel, the Book of John. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. We experience all sorts of changes as we move through life, marriage, raising children, moving up the corporate ladder, and saving for retirement. To maneuver smoothly through these changes, tune in to Practical Solutions for Life with host Catherine Wilking. Through engaging guests, fun topics, and feng shui solutions, you will learn how to take charge and move from chaos to prosperity. Be sure to listen live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1 888 346 9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today to Thomas Moore about his beautiful book, Gospel, the Book of John. And uh, we were talking just before the break about uh, living life abundantly. And we're going to get back to that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to ask Thomas, if you will, to go ahead and let us know how you might connect with him, any events he's got coming up, or anything else he'd like to share with you personally. 
yes, I'd like to uh, let you know my uh, my website address is thomasmoresoul.com. That's thomasmoresoul, S-O-U-L, dot com. And you can find the, 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 an events page there where I, you can uh, discover where I'll be traveling. And I, I, don't go, I don't go and travel too much. I, I, I'm a real home person. I like to stay at home. But yeah. I do get out and enjoy it uh, when I do. And I, um, I will be traveling a bit this spring. And the first bit of travel I'll be doing in March will be to give a, a presentation on therapy in western Massachusetts at uh, Kripalu. Yoga Center, and uh, that's part of a new book I'm working on on uh, the meaning of and practice of psychotherapy. Beautiful. I can't wait for that book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's go back to talking a little bit about abundant life. So you were saying that life was, it went back to that old idea of the well and how deep we go. Could you say some more about that? Yes. I think that Jesus is about life. You know, he says that he is life. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful idea. It's, I know it's a very big one, so hard to get a hold of. But I think what he's saying there is that what, what, he's more interested in life and really having the fullness of life, that you really live and feel alive. That's more important then how you think about things. I mean, it's important how you think about things because that can have an effect. But the ultimate thing is, are you, are you, do you feel alive? Do you feel like you're really alive in this world? Um, a lot of people seem kind of dead. You know, they're deadened by jobs that don't give them any meaning. They're deadened by relationships that have uh, died away. Um, they're deadened by the place they live in because it doesn't really give much to them. There are lots of things that make us feel dead rather than alive. In fact, I guess my guess would be that really is what the essence of the story of Lazarus is. When he raises his friend Lazarus from death, he's, what he's doing is suggesting that he is a person who brings people back to life. That's what he does. And there are many of us, maybe all of us at some, in some part of our lives, need to be brought back to life. There's a deadness in us. And uh, that's a, it's a problem. I know we don't talk about that in our psychological jargon. We, don't, you know, we talk about anxiety and depression. But I think it would be very useful to say or to ask someone, do you feel dead somewhere? Do you feel that you're mm-hmm. not alive somewhere in your life? Mm-hmm. And uh, that question Jesus answers by saying he is vitality. That who, that's who he is. That's what he is mostly concerned about. And it's a soul word again. Soul is about being alive rather than knowing, uh, knowing about your life or feeling that you understand yourself. You know, I, for myself, I would say it's not so important to, under, to understand yourself as it is that you feel that you are alive in the life you are living right now. And that is Jesus' primary concern, that you are alive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's just, uh, I think the word there for a life is zoe, isn't that Z-O-E? Yeah, zoe, yes. Yeah, and then it's like a profound life. Yes, it's like the zoo. That's the same word in zoo. You know, the zoo comes from zoe. And it's like, it's where the animals are. It's where you see all that vitality in life and all that, the variety of life and 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 animals doing things instinctively and not just doing what everyone tells them they should do. 
And uh, that's it in us. It's almost like saying we have a zoo in us, that we are so alive. But our animal nature comes out. I think Jesus has a lot to do with that. And the word is zoe, or you could say zoo. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, uh, this is an important question I have uh, with regard to where we are today in our sort of collective uh, psychology. Um, In the metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd, Jesus tells us that his sheep hear his voice and follow him, but they don't follow the false prophet. So we're given some really clear information there that basically says those people know how to hear his voice and follow him. How do we recognize the voice of the shepherd and refuse to follow the voice of the false prophet? Well, it's an interesting thing. There's so many voices out there telling us what to do. You know, how many people are, present themselves as experts and tell you how you should live? Um, uh, there are many. I mean, I'm doing that to some extent, and you're doing that to some extent. Yep. Uh, and um, the question is, should people follow us? And should they be following the people that they do follow? You've got to use your intelligence. Uh, That's the thing. People are free to go where they want to. But it's possible for for leaders, uh, and here I mean not not just political leaders, but the psychological teachers. There's so many spiritual and psychological teachers in the world, and it's very easy. They know how to to get people's attention and how Mm -hmm. to play on their weaknesses. And so... It's like when you go to a store, you have to be careful that you don't let the advertisers uh, get you to spend money on things you don't need or want. It's a similar kind of thing. You have to use your judgment and your intelligence. And you have to understand that there are people in this world who are working hard at trying to get your attention and to get you to follow them. And it's up to you to decide who is worth your attention. And you have to use your intelligence. I know it's a strange thing to say, but I feel that, especially in the spiritual realm, uh, that there is so much psychology involved in spirituality. There is so much of the emotional involved. And uh, it, rather than be kind of dumb followers of somebody, we have to wake up our intelligence. And especially when we're choosing some group or some individual to follow, we, that's the moment when we really have to be as intelligent as we can be and choose carefully because you can easily make a mistake. Yeah, and I think that's uh, you know one of the things that we're kind of taught not to do, don't you think? Sometimes we're not taught to really get with our own original thinking, our own original voice, our own original soul. We're taught to listen to other people and they have the information we need and all we need to do is listen to them and we'll be all right. I know, it's, it's, so, it's so common. Um, you you don't hear teachers telling too too often telling their students uh, trust yourself um, yeah. do what you you know do what you feel deep down you need to do but you can't just do that either you can't just follow your emotion of the moment you have to also look at look the situation over and see what's going on and uh, I think that this is something that's been lacking in the spiritual life and in religions as well. A religion has been terrible in the past, at least some religions, and and not encouraging people to think for themselves and to be intelligent in what they mm-hmm. what they do. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame, and uh, we can turn that around, and we can educate people spiritually. 
that's another issue that uh, that needs attention as well. That it's not enough just to become emotionally attached to a community or to a leader, but you have to uh, think it through and use your mind and uh, uh, and judgment, and and don't be stupid about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be stupid. I like that. <laughs> plain language. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, okay, you talk about, in, in your commentary, you say that we're here to serve each other and keep each other morally and intellectually clean. But at the same time, you speak of moralism as a problem. So help me understand what the uh, distinction is between moralism sure. and, yeah. Sure. So we have two things, to be moral and being moralistic. Those are two things. I consider them the uh, their opposites. To be moral means to assess the situation and decide for yourself based on your experience and your knowledge. What is the best thing to do? What is the right thing to do in this moment? And sometimes it's very difficult to know. Some of these decisions are difficult. Moral decisions can be very difficult. Um, Is it all right, for example, to go and fight in a war and to support your country and so on? Is that all right? It's a complicated issue. Yes, it seems good to defend ourselves and protect our, our families and, and uh, all of that. On the other hand, war is so horrible uh, and is so full of violence and, uh, and, and, and terrible uh, things that happen. Can you become part of it? Well, that's a, that's a moral decision. So most moral decisions require thought and they require a background uh, where you have developed your moral sensitivity over time. Moralism is something else. It's you, you think you know what everyone should do. There's no complexity. You don't have to think about these things because someone has told you this is wrong, and probably your family, maybe your mother or father, there's an awful lot of family influence in moralism. Or maybe you have become part of a community, let's say a religious community or a political community, and you've surrendered yourself. You've given yourself to this community, and you think the way everybody in that community does. And, like, you know, if you're a Democrat, you think the way Democrats do. If you're a Republican, you think that way. If you're Christian, that's how you think. And it's a kind of a mass mentality, moralism. So moralism is protecting yourself, really. It's a defense against being moral. Uh, you don't want to have to... Uh, examine all these subtle issues in a moral decision. You want to just do what you've always told was right or wrong. And you expect everyone to do the same. That's part of moralism. You don't allow people to make these decisions for themselves. You want to take it over and say, I'm right, and you have to do what I think is right. So moralism defends against the complexity of being a moral person. On the other hand, being a moral person means you are really human. You are making tough decisions in your life, and every time you do, you become that much more of a human being. So moralism, it seems to me, is a really bad thing to get into, and yet it, it has been part of uh, religion, and sometimes part of these spiritual movements that don't like to consider themselves religions but still become very moralistic. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, we just have a few minutes left before we have to go, and I hate that. I, I love talking with you, and I'd love to just talk for hours and hours. But I want to ask this one more question so we can add, uh, maybe we can give a brief answer. 
Jesus instructs his disciples to live in me in much the same way that the Old Testament refers to dwelling in God and God making his dwelling among us. Can you explain what it means to live in Christ? Yes, I think what it means is, is, is quite practical, actually. To live in Christ means to live his message, his teaching, and to live in his being, the kind of being that he represented. The life that Jesus embodies and gives an example to is not the normal human life. It's one that is terribly, terribly sensitive to the needs of others. And it is one that he is himself a healer most of the time. He heals. He takes care of people. And that's his job. And he associates with people and teaches them. So it's a particular kind of life. And I think to be in Christ means to be within that way of being in the world. Just look at what he did, how he lived, in very, very simple ways. As I keep saying in our conversation, I think the primary virtue for Jesus is friendship. He has his friends around, and he is a good friend. And Mm -hmm. um, even the rituals, like the Last Supper, is part of friendship. He has his friends around him. His friends gather around him when he's being executed. Uh, They're everywhere all the time. So there is one little example of how to be in Christ. Uh, Be a good friend. Um, Make sure that you live in this world in a friendly way. Make everyone you encounter a friend. That's the Jesus way. It's a radical way of life. It's not what people normally do. It's radically loving. It's radically loving. So if you can live in Christ that way, you're all set. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, radically loving. I like that. And I, I do think that's true, that we can, we can reach beyond our fear and, and love. And we can, you know, we can protect ourselves, but we can also reach beyond our fear and love. Thank well, you, I Thomas. I know you know that very well. And I, uh, I think that's the essence of the whole thing. Yes, I think you're right. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Thomas. This has been beautiful, and I, and I invite you, of course, to come back another time and talk about one of your other Gospels, and we'll maybe see if we can arrange that later. But right now, thank you so much for this beautiful commentary on the Gospel of John. Thank you, Andrea, and I do hope we can do it again. Okay. Well, all right, that's it for today. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week.